it's I know it this is one of those abstract concepts like we do not know um, how limiting we're being if we grip so tightly right but the reality is when we grip really tightly we're actually limited to our own micro perspective on what's possible when we begin yes. to release the grip as you're talking about having a conversation with your director of ops and saying hey what do you think our three strategic um, objectives should be and then talking about how to get there that's when like everything starts blossoming and you will truly truly achieve more than you ever thought possible as you begin to trust people on your team and do it in a you know do it in an intentional way are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio, and we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Last week's episode was a meandering conversation around how does a music school owner become conversant with what they need to know to operate all dimensions of their school? And what started as a simple marketing question really turned into a deeper conversation about expertise and our role in our business, which I think is interesting because of what we're going to talk about today. Um, a question that we received from a listener that I think dovetails quite nicely with the, the topic last week because the insecurity, the, the, the question I think that pops up for most people when they hear me talking about things last week, like, okay, go research this, go do this, talk to this person, learn that fact. The question is always, how in the heck am I going to have the time to do that? Right, right. And even though that isn't the question that was asked us, I think the question that was asked us actually has a, a deep connection to what we talked about last week. Mm. Can I read the question? Hit me. What do we got? So a school owner emailed us and said, the methodical past engineer in me wants to make my business perfect and plug and play before bringing on a manager so that training him or her can be more seamless. I'm also wanting to see consistent profits at a particular level first before justifying paying someone well for their services. So where I think we're going with this, and I'm sure it'll you know, kind of meander around, but where I think we're going with this is around the topic of when should we hire that manager? Who should that manager be? That sort of thing. But the reason why it feels so connected to last week's episode is because of the time element. How, how do we have time to do all this sort of thing? Who do we outsource it to? Can the school manager do this for me? Mm. I think there's some deeper stuff here that's going on just under the surface. And, and I'm really excited into jumping into this, but let's not go there quite yet. Let's maybe just uh, start at the top level. Do you have a school manager, Nate? Yes, we have different managers in different positions. Let's talk about lesson. that. Yeah, we have a private lesson director. We have what we call a director of families communications, which would be sort of the traditional kind of main administrator role. Mm. 
Um, we have a director of our camp program, who's also happens to be my, my business partner. Um, so we have these sort of different directors that manage different facets of the business or different departments, and they have different measures of success in their role, right? Or So let me ask about the family communications manager. You said that, I can't remember the exact words you said, but you indicated that they're kind of your main administrative person. Mm. Why the name family communications hmm. when they're your main administrator? What's going on there? That's a great question. It actually just came up on a call yesterday um, I was having with a school owner. And we we were talking around this idea of retention. And we were talking around this idea of communicating with students and communicating with parents and communicating with teachers that they have in their studio that work at their studio. And what we really drilled into is this idea that the most important um, uh, skill set and responsibility for your, really for your director or administrator of the school is being able to communicate with all three of those um, members of your community, the student, the teacher, the parent. And so I, we call it um, director of family communications because honestly, that's what Jessica spends most of her time doing. She's either communicating with a new parent or a new family that's coming into the Brooklyn Music Factory. She's communicating with the teacher, introducing them to the new family. She's communicating with the student as the student shows up to the community room for the first time. She's really, uh, that's her main role. Yes, she enrolls. Yes, she sells. Yes, she helps people exit. Um, but really, she's a communicator first and foremost. Did you have a model for this position or is this something that you all kind of invented in the, in the, in the evolution of how BMF grew? That's a stellar question. I don't think we had a model. I think as our, you know, version of an org chart evolved at Brooklyn Music mm. Factory, we began labeling the different positions that felt right for our program, for our purpose, for what we were doing. Um, and also, I once actually asked Jessica point blank as part of our review process, I said, in your ideal day, what would you be doing? Mm. And she said, in an eight-hour day, I'd spend six hours communicating. You know, last week I said, sometimes when the right person shows up, even if it isn't the right time, you hire them. Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. Her natural inclination to do that created something that I don't know if I've ever seen another school do. Mm. Um, well, that, and that's fascinating. Go ahead. Yeah. It's just super interesting. And getting back to the core question here around, you know, what I hear baked into that comment, like I need all my systems. What I heard in that, that question comment from our listener was I'd like to have, you know, the engineer in me wants to have all my systems set up. So that I can then rationalize bringing on someone to adopt the systems. Oh, by the way, I want to make sure that my profit margin's high enough so that I can afford to bring on that person to adopt all the perfect systems. Right? So baked into that question is like, really, when, as you sort of started poking at, when is the right time to hire some a manager in any position? Um, how many systems do I need to have set up? What does my profit margin need to be? There's so much baked into the question, but in the reveal, when we're talking around Jessica and this idea of a family communications uh, position, that actually 
gets discovered with that hire. Yeah, and I, I, honestly. <laughs> so just, no. I just, I'm just going to say, I'm going to say, because I think that's going to be the meat of this episode that we're going to get into is how do you actually bring someone on and develop a role that's right for your program at the stage of growth that it's in? Yeah. We both smiled at some of those questions because in, in the question, in, in the way that it was asked, I think it's betraying something. It's exposing something. And to me, asking what, you know, I want my business to be perfect and plug and play before bringing on a manager. Well, that's a, li- a bit like trying to solve your emotional problems before you go to a therapist. That's why you go to the therapist. Right? <laughs> oh, oh, I can't bring all this junk to them. They're going to be so annoyed. <laughs> No, that's their job. <laughs> well, I mean, and dude, in all fairness, I think that they're also writing that like, they're like, by the way, I know that this is kind of ridiculous, that everything's supposed to be perfect, but it's, right. it's a great analogy, dude. I feel that way sometimes when I go to my therapist. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, I, you know, there obviously is, if you want to get the most out of working with a coach, or a therapist, which are two very, very different jobs. But if you want to get the most, there is some personal work you should do outside of, out of that. You know, you'll, 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 you'll get way more out of the experience if you do that. But I did smile a little bit when I saw that because in reality, my personal experience showed that I couldn't imagine the very first administrator I hired, I couldn't imagine just how much they would help me. Yes. And I scaled her job in a, you know, this is kind of one of those stories I always tell over and over, but I scaled her job from about her first month. She worked about 10 to 15 hours, very part-time. And within five months, she was working a hundred hours a month for me. Mm, okay. So yeah, we're getting into the, the yeah. matter here, which is how to rationalize that type of growth and how they helped you. Um, so where do we want to start here? Because one thing that I really liked about this um, question that they wrote in is they they actually shared some of their obstacles with us, like some it. of the resistance points um, hmm. on the ones we've already touched on. Uh, and maybe I could just actually, could I read those real quick? Read all three. Let's not address them one by one. Let's put it all out on the table okay. because I think when we do that, we're going to have a much more holistic, I think much more holistic thoughts will come up, not only for us, but also in the minds of the listener. Okay, so these obstacles I'm sure will resonate with our listeners, but here's all three of them. How do I pay someone? Should I offer a commission or an incentivized growth if the role involves that? Second, how many hours? Flexible scheduling, okay. Do I need them to answer the phone during daytime hours or just continue to have my answering service subscription do that? And then number three, currently I just hire contractors as instructors. Do I need to consider this manager to be a W-2 employee and how to consider the cost and logistics of that? So those are the three sort of main obstacles slash questions that are coming up for this. Uh, I don't want to derail us. Mm. Uh, And maybe you have a different take, Nate, but the very first thing that comes up for me when I hear this is there is no blueprint for this. Every school is going to be different. And my to, to kind of call back to last week's episode as well, list out everything you need done. 
and then put that job description out in the world and see who wants to respond to it. Because a school with a thousand kids has a different administrative need than a school with 125. Mm. School with a thousand kids might actually need two full-time people. School with 125 might need a part-time person. What I often see so much with school owners is they, they have a lot of questions that essentially stop them in their tracks. Mm. And an action in action is a slow death. Yes. And I feel that people often use questions when there are no answers, but they ask the questions, you know, because in reality, I hear all these obstacles. I would, if as the coach inside of me would sit down with this person and just one by one start asking why they're asking that question mm. and find out, oh, here's the fear underneath all of that. So that's what initially stands out to me. And I think we actually might answer some of these questions because I think there are some common wisdom points, but that's kind of what I hear first is. Uh, uh, or what I noticed first. And like I said, I hope I'm not derailing with that comment because Nate, you might have a very different perspective on those obstacles. So I'm curious what yours is. I, I think that's a great step one, which is list everything that you need done. And I would only add that this is a classic example of my not to-do <laughs> list that we talked back in that episode on annual planning. Like part of my writing is around- So creating- 10. F10, thank you for that. Daniel, so episode 10, we talk about annual planning and in that personal writing process, I create a not to-do list. I don't have my journal right here, but I'd read some of it. And so you're saying, and and that's the only addition I'd have um, is these are the things that if you get off of your plate, you will be of higher value to your customers. And let me jump in right there before you continue and just say, this is why I connected this to last week's episode because the feedback I get the feedback I got was, how am I going to have time to do all this? This is how. When, when in the original question here, do, uh, do I want to, uh, I want to see consistent profits at a particular level first before justifying paying someone well for their services. Maybe the reason why it's more difficult to make those profits is you don't already have this person. Investment always precedes reward. Planting always precedes the harvest. Yes. Can I then can I take us to step number two to try to answer a couple of the questions around pay? Because this is that financial fluency piece that you and I talk about all the time. You hit it on the head when you said, I brought on an admin to help. I didn't quite know how this person was going to transform me and my business, but Mm -hmm. I started at 10 hours a week. So they started at 10 and they moved. I had a basic list. I had a basic list of things I needed them to do. Basic list of outcomes needed. I need you to figure out how to do these. Either I have a version of it or you need to come up with a version of it because I'm, I'm not doing it well, right? Mm-hmm. Second thing you need to do is link your resources to that. So um, in, in the case of this listener, they want to know that they have a certain amount of profit before they even begin to invest. I would flip it. I would just say, given your cash on hand, how many hours can you afford to start every week? So it's totally okay to be like, I'm going to invest $100 a week in this supports person. And I'm not going to expect him or her to knock out everything on the list. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say, here's my list. We got five hours a week. I can pay 20 bucks an hour. Let's see what we can resolve over the next three months as we develop together. And even on that point, that is, I have two brief thoughts about that. One, 
it's helpful to have a plan because if you get five hours back because that person's doing that for you, this list of tasks, what are you going to do with those five hours? I think a lot of times people Mm. look at the cost, but they don't look at the opportunity. That leads me to the second point, which is a couple of years ago, there was something I decided to give up that was bringing in money. But I was like, you know what? I'm ending this part of the business. As a part, part of ending that part of the business means that over, and I knew this number over the next year, I think the number was, I'm going to get 460 hours back. But mm-hmm. I'm going to get those 460 hours, but I'm going to lose X number of dollars. And here's what I said. I, I'm not joking. I literally thought this in my head. And it's what gave me the courage to quit this thing that was bringing in revenue. If I can't make at least that amount of revenue with 460 hours, I don't even deserve to be in business. Mm. The thought being this, you bring in an admin that you get off, a, uh, uh, you get a bunch of low dollar per hour work off your plate and you get 20 hours a month back, invest it into top line revenue growth. Take that 20 hours per month yes. that you've gotten back Literally 11% of your working month if you work a 40-hour work week. It is exactly 11.1%, I think. Invest that into marketing and sales and tell me that it, it would be impossible to, to, to make up that $100 a week that you're paying that person. It's, it's ridiculous to me. Right. So you're, I mean, what I hear you saying, which is essential, is you're not bringing on an admin simply to relieve you of all this work you don't want to do so you can then go uh, add no new value to your business. Exactly. Right? Unless, of course, that is your objective, but I don't hear that at all in this question. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll even say, th- this, this isn't just good advice for someone who is just now thinking of hiring their first support person or their second support person. Even big school owners should take this into account. I had a conversation recently with a couple of team members who were making autonomous choices on how they were using their time. And Mm -hmm. I needed to share my thoughts with them where I said, it seems like we're spending a lot of time Mm -hmm. on internal things, things that don't add revenue. Yeah. Those are actually expenses. Whereas if you have a choice between two projects, if you want to be thinking like me, I'd prefer you to, to, to spend time on things that are going to improve our marketing, increase the number of leads coming in, et cetera, et cetera. So in sharing that with that person, then I started hearing back from them, the, like they got it, you know? Um, so it's a little bit like throwing a rock through a window so that then the person can go and replace the window. Oh, the window was broken. <laughs> so I, I help the business by going and replacing the window. And they, as soon as they put the window, they throw another rock through it. You yeah. can literally just spend your, one employee could spend an entire week throwing rocks through windows and replacing it and on paper be very productive because they're efficient with it, but it wasn't adding to revenue. So I just want to say that think of your support staff as, as people who are either getting things off your plate so you can do higher value activities or, uh, actually hiring people that can do those high value activities for you. Okay. So that brings me to a comment that you've made many times you've shared with me around different levels of employees. Cause I feel like we're on to step three to answer this question. When we're bringing on a manager or we're, let's just say we're bringing on a team member. 
Because sometimes when we use words like manager, we're like, we don't even know what manager means. Like as a friend of mine once said, dude, you're like, you're like a manager doesn't manage people. They manage outcomes. You're just bringing on a team member to create a new outcome, right? Like if you focus on your efforts on what it means to control other people, i.e. being manage them, it's just going to be pain for the rest of your life. <laughs> Instead, focus on the outcomes you want as you're describing now. Can they add more value? So I feel like we're on to step number three when we're asking ourselves, so let's just take this hypothetical. Okay, let's say we brought on someone for five hours a week, paying them 20 bucks an hour. 100 bucks a, so 400 bucks a month is our initial investment. And let's go back to one of your key concepts from the last episode. Call that $400 a month a research opportunity. This is you learning how to bring on a new team member and have them add value to both the school and to you, freeing up your time to do, as you pointed out, some really high value tasks. Let's review level one through five of employees, um, Daniel, and ask ourselves, what type of employee are we actually looking to bring on? A level one, tell them exactly what to do and they do it. Level two, I still do what tell you what to do, but I basically trust you to do it. A level three, I'm managing you while you do most of the day-to-day work. So in other words, you're really keeping your eye on the outcome, the measurements always, but they're basically doing the day-to-day. Level four higher would be, I basically say, here's our goal and here's the strategic directive. Um, I'm sort of paraphrasing your words here, but so correct me if I'm wrong. But then they come up with the plan on how to execute it. A perfect example is, hey, here's how we currently enroll students. They fill out a web form. We call them once or twice. We try to get them to enroll. I think there's a better way. That's going to be task number one for you is to figure out a better enrollment system, right? Um, Okay, and then a level five higher is literally um, they tell you, they actually give you strategic directives. They say, Yeah, they say, man, I've looked at Brooklyn Music Factory, Nate, and I think there's three ways that we can really level up. Here's here's how I see it. And then I just look to them and I say, what resources do you need? How much money? How much time do you need help? And then they just go. So who is this person? Is it a level one, two, three, four, or five that we're bringing on currently as we're beginning to test the waters with building our administrative or our support team? I think it depends on what you're having them oversee. If you if this if this administrator is posting to your social page and running your invoicing for you and just making sure that it runs smoothly, then you probably don't need more than a level two or a three. But if they're a director of family communications and they need to be able to make autonomous decisions on how to better do that, and you actually want that person to come back to you and say, hey, I'm noticing this trend and all this feedback we're getting. I think we need to build this. And um Give me a month and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll fix this for us. Yes. So more than likely, what most studios should start out with is like a level two or three, possibly even a one, one through three. Just get some of this stuff that you shouldn't be doing off your plate, <clears throat> period. Much easier to find this person. The first person I hired was 23 years old and she was very capable. I'm not being ageist here. She was very capable. I've worked with people twice her age who wasn't as good as she was. What are three things that she did and took off your plate right out of the gate? Um, I had her, the very first thing I taught her to do was to run our invoicing system. Love it. A lot of, a lot of people's, 
Uh, yeah. What, what, Daniel? I've literally had people get super concerned about that because I can't imagine doing that. But it was so methodical. I knew she wouldn't screw it up. But it was working for you already. You just needed somebody else who would be energized to do it every day or every week. Now, that goes back to the criticism I made earlier. Yes, it was already working. So um, that's cool. But actually, it ended up not working when she came in because it was working because I was doing it in a particular way. We actually had to destroy that system and build a new one so that it could work with someone who didn't understand the business the way I did. Okay, wait, so, I still want two more things that she took off your plate right that's after. That's fine. Yeah, uh, I had her do my social media stuff. I've talked about this in past episodes. Love it. Another thing I had her do was the first time we had a recital, I had her do a lot of the, the communication, reminding around the recital. And we walked through the whole recital process, which in my studio was a 20-week process, documenting everything that was done so that the next time we did it, she could run it. All the parts that just were fiddly, distracting, things I would forget to do, where she literally made a written out system and put things on her own calendar. And that system even had things as detailed as 16 weeks before the recital, send this email out. And I gave her a template of what needed to be sent out. And the next time we ran a recital, I would give her the date and she would schedule on her calendar, working backwards from that date, 20 weeks out, 16 weeks out, 12 weeks out, 10 weeks out, like all this sort of thing. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. Okay, so you have just touched on an essential point here for us. Mm -hmm. We brought someone on five hours a week. Mm -hmm. And they started with some systems that pre-existed. Oh. And then in the discovery process, you two realized there was opportunity. Right. And I do want to add, though, two of those systems didn't exist prior to her being there. Yeah, you know, I'm going to uh, get Of the there. three I mentioned. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm gonna I just want to make there. sure. So, yeah, so you're discovering opportunity. This gets back to your really, 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 really important point where you said you will not have a garden unless you plant a seed. You must, mm -hmm. you must actually invest to discover what the opportunity is. You have no idea how abundant your vegetable garden can be if you just stare at it and wishing you were having a vegetable garden, right? <laughs> like, you got to plant it, then you got to, now you are actually nurturing and watering this garden and you discover with this person that, man, first of all, our invoicing system only worked because Daniel's brain was on it and was micromanaging it, which gets to this pain point in our listener's question which is like the problem with us owners at the outset when we're in our startup phase is we're freaking control freaks. We want to control everything and we start with the money, right? We're like, ah, I got to control every dollar that comes in and out. Um, but in actuality, it turns out that the system was not long-term sustainable in its current structure because there was only one person who could actually manage it. And that was the founder, you, Daniel. And so what we're saying is like, you discovered a couple things. You discovered number one, 
there was actually an improvement that could be made on the invoicing system. And you you tore it down and you rebuilt it and you did that as a team rather than alone, which is a massive opportunity for any growing business. And then number two, you were like, one thing I don't want to do is communicate all about the recitals. And so what looked like an initial communication project turned into a 20-week reverse engineering system on how to do a, a, a repeatable, successful recital every season. Mm-hmm. And I can promise you that people listening right now, one of their pain points is actually all the pre-production for their recitals or for their gigs. Why do I know that, dude? Because we're going (laughs) to... I literally have an email right now about like the six gigs that we're doing in this season. And um, I remember vividly at BMF, we would put on... We put on about 60 or 70 events a year. And I remember just being like overwhelmed with fear and nervousness around whether or not students would actually show up to the event. Like, did we even remember to email them the event was happening? <laughs> right. So, okay. So now you're at five hours. It sounds hold on. Yeah. Hold on. I, I even have an observation about what you just said there, that control troll freak part. Oh, yeah. Hit me. What do you got? I think part of the reason why owners get nervous about bringing people in is subconsciously they know that the way things are run right now can't be done by another person. Mm. But they haven't made the mental connection yet to see that it could be done another way. Okay. You don't want to dictate. You want someone who is, you want someone who is going to be capable enough. And honestly, this isn't like a super high skill level. You want someone who's capable enough to look at it and say, oh, let's do it this way. You can have a 24-year-old say that to you. 100%. Um, and, and so the point I'm making is, is that if you can't imagine giving it up, it's be, it, it could be a sign that it can't be given up in its current form. But that doesn't mean the job can't be done. It just means you haven't yet thought deeply about the other 18 ways it could be done. So I think the control freak thing, sometimes I ask myself internally, obviously, that's kind of the typical marketing point by all these different businesses that are like telling you how to scale. Oh, you know, we're going to make it so, uh, you know, owners are control freaks. Business owners are control freaks. And, and that sort of thing. And I'm not criticizing that talking point. I, I think I just find it fascinating that, that I don't know, maybe that that, that still is an issue. Um, I don't think we want to be control freaks. I don't know. No, we, we, we 100% want to feel like we're part of a team and part of something that we're building that's bigger than us with others. Right. And I want to go, I actually want to dig in a little bit here because why do you think we have such difficulty looking in the mirror and saying, wait a minute, the thing I've built actually isn't sustainable by anyone other than myself? Why do we, is it that we don't have time to actually sit down and address the different uh, parts of our business, like the recital process or the enrollment process or the communication? Is it that, or is it like a, is it an ego piece? Like we just don't, 
we're, we have trust issues. We can't actually trust others. What do you think? Oh man, I, I imagine it's different from owner to owner, but one thing that really strikes me is that we make snap judge. I really think this is the heart of it. We really do make as humans, we make snap judgments. And then because we want that, the tension released of how are we going to accomplish this thing? And so I think there is some ego at play, but not the kind of ego that would lead us to beat our chest on social media and say how good we are. It's not that kind of ego. It's just the ego of not examining our own thinking. It's the ego of not uh, questioning ourselves because if we were to do that in every single thing, wouldn't that just be exhausting all the time? Mm, I, I, I think there's just a lot of snap thinking that goes on and, and we don't want to examine what we decided on eight years ago because we can't live in the tension of constantly second guessing all of our decisions. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. I love the exhaustion point because it reminds me of um, uh, a building that Brooklyn music factory used to be in and uh, located on one floor above us was a dance studio. And this woman was like a Brooklyn um, she uh, like native. She'd been there forever. Her dance studio had been around for like 30 plus years. So I would go to her for wisdom. Oh, nice. Right? I'd be like, hey, what, how, tell me, I just ask questions. I'd be like, how do you do, you know, what's your dance recital like? When do you, and so one time I asked her, I was like, I was like, when do you do facility upgrades? Because sometimes it would, be, it would like, it would look okay, but not great. You know, I'd go look in there and be like, all right. And she's like, once a year, Nate, that's it. Once a year, I assess, does our facility meet the needs of what we're doing? And if so, we dedicate a handful of days to like, you know, painting, fixing what we need. And that's it. And then for 360 days, it's fine. And then I visit it again. And I was like, wow. Because my head as an owner at my music school is constantly looking at like the guitar hook that's not on the wall that needs to be there for the guitar. The this, the that. The, I'm always looking for ways that we can revise um, our, our, you know, our home and make it even better. But actually to your point, it was exhausting to me and it was a distraction from the things that truly would move the needle. That's a huge point. And I think that just comes down to personal effectiveness mm -hmm. and the discipline of getting everything out of your head. So when, uh, when I was talking to my ops manager in a meeting recently, we identified nearly three dozen different projects that quote unquote needed to happen over the next 90 days of quarter two. Mm -hmm. We're only going to do three of them. We have to know which three are the most important. And we debated that not in like a fighty type way, but just talking through it. And, and, you know, if you don't have a second in command or someone on your team that you can talk to hire a coach or get someone on your team, you know, but yeah. just getting the perspective of one or multiple other people can help determine what that is. And then that just comes down to what needs to happen the most right now. And then if what you need to really drive this point home, if what you need can't be done by another person, then you got to hire someone else to do the things that can be done by another person, or you hire the person that can do the thing you need to get done. And in the case of what we've been working on recently, 
it's a mixture of both, but I've already got a pretty well-oiled system in place. So it's a little bit unfair for me to say that, but I mean, recently we hired a level five to go back to that list earlier. Someone who literally came in to kind of talk about the person I was mentioned hiring in the previous episode, that person's a true level five. They came in and told me things I'd never thought of. Yeah. And they told me how to do it. And I provided my part of it and they're going to take it and run with the ball. And then there's other stuff that has to get done that I'm trusting to, to people that I'm literally like, Hey, go do this. Or I send them an email, fix this problem for me. You know? Yeah. And, um, I wanted to just actually make it real with, with this podcast, you know, you and I started this, mm. I don't know, a year and a year ago, something like that. And we yeah. went live, not, but four or five months ago, I don't yeah. even, but the December first, yeah, we needed a team. What's the one thing that only you and I can do? It's this, right? <laughs> it's we're showing up to record and we're showing up to bring our perspective um, to our listeners and hopefully be a benefit to them. But we have someone who edits the podcast and that's what, a couple hours a week? We have someone who publishes the podcast. We have someone who's a project manager and it's only a hand one or two hours a week that they do it, right? So there's a team mm -hmm. of people that are doing the things that honestly, Daniel and I, like. An, I mean, I can speak for myself. I wouldn't be very good at it. Only the audio editing would I be really, really efficient and good at because I have experience. Everything else, I'd be fair at. I, I, I wouldn't do it as well as the people that are doing it right now, nor would I be bringing the most value. So when we're thinking about our school owners that are, that are thinking about, well, what's the position I need to hire for right now? It doesn't have to be complicated. Go back to the list, Daniel, you're talking about that you talked about you know, 30 minutes ago. Go mm -hmm. back to that list, pick, I love that last point you made, pick three to five things on that list that are going to directly impact whatever your goal is this year. Yeah. You know, and if, yeah. If revenue is an issue, uh, I don't know if I can afford to hire this person or we just need to, we need like 15 more students before we, I can really afford to hire that person. Then work crazy hours for a month or two, get those students. And then it will snowball from there. Or if you already have the money, start with a level two hire that can take a but like I'm thinking specifically of a studio owner that we've been working with, that their studio is nearly at <clears throat> a million in revenue and they have insanely good margins. Yeah. And his issue was not, not the money piece. It was, he couldn't imagine someone else doing it. So each person's going to have a different issue in, in, in terms of doing this. But if you could, yeah, it, I mean, it just comes back to that personal effect of this piece. I just can't get off that. Like you either a have a marketing and sales problem, or, sorry, a revenue problem. That's really a marketing and sales problem. Solve that. Mm -hmm. If you don't, then there's really no excuse not to invest in someone to do some of these jobs. And then it really just comes down to the hiring piece, which we have talked about ad nauseum over the last couple months. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've dug in on hiring. And so, Maybe I'll maybe I'll finish with this. Yeah. Uh, wait, let me give you a couple of quick hacks and then finish with this thought just in, okay. in our own world at BMF. Um, this doesn't have to be an external hire at all. In fact, we sure. oftentimes see with the schools we work with, it's an internal hire. It's a teacher who's really invested in what you guys are doing, but could use another five or 10 hours of work. 
right? So number one, start small and start easy. Look with someone who you already know and trust, a teacher that's on your staff and, and, and go to her with the list and just have a meeting. Hey, I've got this list of opportunities. Based on your strengths, what you think is you're really good at, what do you want to take on, right? So that's number one. It's just a simple way to do it in the next seven days. Have that conversation. You don't have to commit to them. You can just be like, I just wanted to have a meeting and just see if you were interested, right? Mm. But it'll get you to make your list. It'll get you to think beyond yourself. It'll get you to begin exploring the opportunity. Um, And then the last piece I wanted to say is, we truly do not know what we're capable of when we're gripping tight everything in our business, right? So the minute we begin to release our hold on facets of the business, all four buckets, the marketing and sales, the training, delivery on promise, the teaching point, the the back office, the operations and the money, and then even the new business opportunities. When we begin to release our grip on those and welcome in other members to the team, that's when things start really blossoming. It's, I know it, this is one of those abstract concepts. Like we do not know um, how limiting we're being if we grip so tightly, right? But the reality is when we grip really tightly, we're actually limited to our own micro perspective on what's possible. When we begin yeah. to release the grip, as you're talking about having a conversation with your director of ops and saying, hey, what do you think our three strategic objectives should be? And then talking about how to get there. That's when like everything starts blossoming and you will truly, truly achieve more than you ever thought possible as you begin to trust people on your team and do it in a, you know, do it in an intentional way. Yeah. I've just seen that over the dozen years at BMF and it's, and it, and it's, it's quite moving when you see the possibilities of other people um, going from a level two to a level four or even a level five employee and becoming um, like strategic partners. Yes. I've seen that too. I think I have one, I don't know if I'd call it a hack, Mm. but one of the, First tripping points that I see a lot of school owners not getting past. And this person actually asked it as well. And I don't think we've answered it explicitly yet. But I wanted to make sure that I said this before the episode was over. And that is, there seems to be a lot of concern. I I don't... I don't know why. And I had it too, before I kind of have gotten to the place where I'm at mentally with all this and hiring tons of people. This is one of the things I was worried about early on too. I was afraid that I wouldn't find someone that wanted to work as little as I wanted to work them. See, I had these two sticking points. One was, I wasn't sure what I could give them. I couldn't imagine it. Like, I'm going to hire this person. I'm going to have nothing for them to do because they can't do that. They can't do that. They can't do that. But, and then I had this concern on behalf of the other person, which isn't even my business. (laughs) Like, but I'm only going to have like 10 hours a month for them. Like, how is that going to be okay? There are people out there who don't care. They're actually looking for that little a job. They just need some extra bucks on the side. Or in the case of the person who I hired, she was a professional executive assistant. And she was working, I think, at the time for like four other businesses. And she added me on. She, she was actually looking for something that was only about 10 to 20 hours a month. 
Don't worry about it. Don't, again, this is just places where I think people stop themselves and, and, and think they dwell in the negative and don't have this possibility thinking. And so I wanted to make sure I address that because that is one of those sticking points. Uh, What am I going to have them do? And how am I going to find someone that only wants to work that much? And, you know, here's the truth. Hit reply on the email you saw this on or leave a comment or go to the site and fill our contact form. I actually have a lot of resources on answering those two questions that we can't even get into right now, but more than happy to talk to you about that. So hit reply or leave a comment or et cetera, et cetera. Um, Because I spent a long time worrying about that and really stunted my growth for years because I couldn't get over those questions. So when I actually did solve those problems and then realized, oh, those actually weren't nearly the insurmountable mountains I thought they were. Yes. um, I put together a lot of resources that I wish I could go back in time and give to my younger self because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> totally. They are real problems, but they're much more easily solved than I gave them credit for before I had solved them. Daniel, and you've spoken to this before. It's not your concern what you can afford. If $20 an hour is where you need to start, that's where you start because that's the cash you have on hand. Mm-hmm. You don't, don't let that stop you either. You said the number of yeah. hours, the limited yeah. number of responsibilities, and what you can yeah. afford. No, yeah. it's, not, it's not your job to worry about it's only your job to go out and look for that uh, perfect hire. Yeah. And in past episodes, we've talked about job descriptions. We've talked about Upwork stuff, like all kinds of stuff that we've talked about in past episodes, I think can kind of speak into this, but I know it can be tough to piece all that together. But in reality, what I'm beginning to realize as we're 20 something episodes in is that um, we're really giving like a a business framework here and kind of a, 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 a mindset framework and a, you know, almost like a personal effectiveness framework. Like we keep hitting on these deeper themes over and over and over again, but just looking at them from different angles. But I think someone were to listen to all these episodes rapidly over a short period of time, they kind of hear these deeper themes coming up over and over and over again. And I just think this is just a different facet on it we've covered today. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please... Share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.